Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week's podcast is sponsored by Clover and Bee. Clover and Bee wax wraps are an eco-friendly alternative to single-use plastics, made using organic food-grade materials and products with our own in-house designs. With just a little warmth from your hands, they will easily mould around fruits, vegetables, snacks and sandwiches, as well as bowls and dishes and will keep your food fresh for longer. Lasting approximately a year, they are easily cleaned using cool water and a little dish soap. At the end of their use, they can be rewaxed, composted, roused in strips as a chemical-free fire starter for log burners and barbecues. I've been extremely lucky to be able to use the Clover and Bee beeswax wraps and my favourite thing is that I can chop up an onion, chop up an avocado, chop up a pepper and I don't need to worry about food waste and it's absolutely brilliant. I also... I also really hate using cling film um, and this has just been amazing so that I can keep things wrapped, keep things fresh, not have to worry about the environmental impact and also my fridge looks so pretty. In this week's episode I'm joined by Deirdre Redden who is an eating disorder and parent coach. Deirdre works with parents whose loved one has an eating disorder to support them in supporting their loved one. This week we have a specific focus on Christmas as we know this can be a challenging time for both people with eating disorders and their loved ones. I really hope that you find comfort and support in this episode and have a very Merry Christmas. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. I'm very excited because I think I saw that you had your workshop yesterday. So it feels like you will have spoken a lot about this topic yesterday. Um, So I guess to get us started, do you want to explain who you are, what you do and how you got there? Sure, yeah. Um, So I'm Georgia Redden. Um, I'm one half of Supported Families based here in Ireland. And I am... uh, parent coach um, and mentor so once upon a time I used to be a banker um, and my daughter developed an eating disorder as a teenager and when she was unwell I spent a lot of time learning about eating disorders and understanding how best to support her on her journey Um, and then thankfully she got well and she's living her life now but I guess I still remembered how lonely and isolating and tough it is as a parent So I left banking, retrained as a coach, retrained in eating disorders, and now I work one-to-one with parents, um, helping them to help their loved ones, really, and and kind of teaching them the skills and helping them to look after themselves because having an eating disorder in the family has a significant impact on everybody. Um, So I work one-to-one and then I work on... uh, online with groups uh, with a colleague, Susanna Gajewicz, uh, and we're supporting families. Yeah, amazing. I think like it's, it's such important work that you're doing because I think, like you said, a lot of the time families are forgotten about. Um, and I think the really important thing is from my personal experience, and I'm not saying this is going to be the case across the board, but when I had an eating disorder the first time around, when my family got involved, the way that they were treated was very much like this is your fault and you're the ones to blame therefore you've got to sort this out and 
you know that really affected my mum and dad because they were like well, what have we done to to you know put her in this position um and it made them it made them angry and they kind of stepped back from wanting to support because they were being told off but then equally this time around you know I'm 26 so my parents I don't live at home anymore like my mum and dad are an hour and a half away so having support for families I think is so important because when you're an adult or classed as an adult by the NHS or whatever you don't then get to bring your family in um, which I think can be really difficult because then it does feel quite lonely for the person that's got the eating disorder but equally the family have like no idea what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's shocking, really, to think that that was sort of the accepted practice Mm -hmm. um, a number of years ago that, you know, it was the family that were at fault. And thankfully, science has moved on and and the evidence has moved on now. And as you know yourself, Anna, it's just so many different things that come together Mm -hmm. um, to um, create or, or so that somebody develops an eating disorder. Families absolutely do not cause eating disorders. Um, and yet they feel so much pain and, you know, for a long time they might be in denial. They feel a lot of guilt. They feel, what have I done um, to cause this? They haven't. Um, so, you know, there is clinical research to suggest that the rates of anxiety and depression in parents um, who have a loved one with an eating disorder is extremely high. So there's an impact um, on everybody. But even apart from all of that, the stat I tend to use is there are 168 hours in the week. Um, and if your loved one is having support um, on an outpatient basis, perhaps they spend an hour a week with the therapist, maybe two hours um, and half an hour with the dietitian. Leaves a lot of hours at home with the parent. And parents are so impacted because they lose their confidence. They feel that their parenting skills aren't working. Um, and they feel like they're walking on eggshells all the time because the eating disorder behaviors are so difficult. So it's kind of not rocket science in a way, but, you know, educating and supporting parents um, so that they can get their confidence back and they can learn how to support their loved one. Uh, It can make such a difference. And again, the evidence is there. It's improved outcomes um, for everybody. Um, And it's even more cost effective in a way because, you know, somebody uh, needs a lot of professional help. They need less when they're getting that, when the professional help is supplemented by parents at home who who know what they're doing and I guess I'm also really passionate about this age limit piece you know so um, you don't become an adult the day you wake up on your 18th birthday you haven't changed from the day you were 17 the day before and nobody I firmly believe and passionately believe that nobody can recover from an eating disorder on their own Um, it does take a lot of support Um, I think you have to completely preserve the client um, therapist confidentiality boundary but a lot of the time parents just don't understand that the words they're using or their behaviors are just really triggering or causing anxiety um, for their loved one so sometimes it can be really simple things um, that can really really help and even learning how to kind of manage their own emotions um, all things that are kind of good parenting tips anyway I think but it can make a significant difference to the loved one and to the parents yeah it's interesting what you say about like you don't become an adult you know the day that you turn 18 after you're 17 the day before because I think from my experience of having an eating disorder through those teenage years and then the transition into adulthood that really impacted me 
even now in becoming an adult and only now that I'm going through therapy and you know really going to the depth of my eating disorder and what it's given to me am I thinking yeah I have been you know really dependent on my parents and my partner in a very childlike way and it's only now that I'm letting go of the eating disorder that I'm kind of emerged you know they talk about emerging adulthood and stuff but I do feel like I'm like finding out who Hannah is and who Hannah is as an adult so I think to just turn around and say um now that you're 18 you make the decisions well now that you're 18 that doesn't mean that the eating disorder has gone and isn't affecting your judgment or your decision making anymore so it's yeah it it seems really strange that we would just say right off you go you know because I think that was the thing I noticed the most was when I was um 14 it was very much like you're in eating disorder treatment um and you're here and you didn't really have a choice as to whether you stayed or not like um it was very much it I did end up leaving in the end but I had to get my parents permission to do that however when I was um recent more recently and I didn't want to go anymore I was just, just like no I'm not turning up and they were like cool see you later and I think it is because I was an adult I could make that decision for myself mm. um but it definitely wasn't you know the right decision no and then it's really hard to for for parents um because they're cut out you know so the treatment team won't involve them and like they're the people on the ground and even when you're not living at home Hannah like you you know you still have a lot of contact with your parents and you know there's so much we can do to support our loved ones over the phone or whatever you know even if we're not there with them um, and I think one of the biggest challenges for parents too is then letting go so you know as you say like part of the recovery process is finding you and helping you to flourish and enhancing your sort of sense of self um, and parents who have been walking on eggshells they can find it really hard to know when to step back um, because a lot of eating disorder recovery and treatment is about empowering the person um, to, to look after themselves I suppose and, and kind of find the tools in their toolbox to do that um, so for parents it can be really hard to know when is the point to step back and I think that's the thing isn't it? I think all of this is is so difficult because I mean nobody gives you a kind of guidebook I suppose you can buy guidebooks on parenting and you can buy guidebooks on parenting or somebody with an eating disorder but realistically you know the books are only a guide um, but I think when it's when your child or your loved one has an eating disorder it's you know wow what on earth do I do here and I'm just thinking you know from from your perspective you've spoken a little bit about like guilt and shame and things like that and I I think this may not be true for all parents but I know for my mum it was very much I am her mum and I've always been able to fix her when she's broken so you know she's cut her knee I'll wipe her I'll wipe the blood off and I'll get her a plaster or she's I don't know broken up with her boyfriend I'll buy the ice cream and you know we'll watch a sad movie together and she'll be okay soon with the eating disorder my mum couldn't fix it and and she it took her so like years to accept the fact that yes she could be there to hold my hand and to you know be beside me but ultimately no matter how hard she tried whether she tried to guilt trip me or tell me about the future or tell me about things that could or won't happen because of the eating disorder until that switch flicked in my brain she just kind of had to sit and wait and so I guess 
for parents that are listening that are feeling that guilt and shame and like I just I, you know I've just got to fix my child it's down to me and it's my fault what would you say to them so a couple of things I guess um so I, I firmly believe the parents are the expert on their child so they play a role alongside the treatment team you know no matter what age the child is um so you do know your child and don't ever lose sight of that same way you know trust your gut if you feel there's something wrong like we can't stress enough how important it is to get early intervention so you know if you feel there's something wrong um get it checked out and if you're wrong what have you lost nothing uh, but it's worth it's worth it because as we both know they're, they're they're not pleasant illnesses and you you know you if you can do anything to stop the track um or make the journey shorter um i i couldn't encourage that enough um so as parents i guess you know we just have to keep planting the seed is the expression we always use so when when our loved one is over 18 and we can't control we can't make them go into treatment we can just keep planting the seed and keep keep talking to them or keep envisioning for them the life that they can have without their eating disorder and help them to paint the picture um, of what life would be like uh, without it. And it's really hard as a parent um, and particularly mums, I think, you know, well, as parents, we're problem solvers. That's what we are. We want to fix problems. So exactly as you've said, Hannah, about, you know, when you fall over and you need a band-aid on your knee, um, that's what parents do. They do all that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you can't. And the one thing you want to do is fix it, but you can't. And and there are great animal metaphors that I use in my work that came from the New Maudsley, New Maudsley Hospital. And I was definitely a kangaroo. So, you know, where you put the, your loved one in your pouch and you want to make it all go away and you want to you want to solve everything for them. But again, back to the empowering theme, you know, you're not allowing the person to flourish and grow and, and figure things out for themselves. So you have to learn to kind of just be the dolphin and swim alongside them and put them on your back sometimes and nudge them forward and all that kind of thing. So I think for parents, just understanding, the more you can understand um, what an eating disorder is and what it isn't, and recognize that, yes, there is so much you can do from the sidelines. There's so much support and gentle encouragement that you can give someone. But you, this is just one thing that you can't make it go away, unfortunately, much and all as you might like to. But that does not mean that um, that does not mean that you can't help. Of course you can. So parents, I think, need to kind of learn to kind of forgive themselves. So self-compassion is really, really important because it's not their fault. They didn't, they didn't cause it. No more than the individual, sorry, didn't cause yeah. it either. Yeah, I love those animal analogies. Mm. Um, I was just thinking about my own parents and my dad was definitely, is it an emu? No, they, well, the ostrich is the ostrich. One that, yeah. That's it. As you were talking, you I was trying to think. I was like, I know it's a big bird, but I can't <laughs> think. My dad was definitely an ostrich, and then I think my mum had like signs of a Jack Russell, but then also partially signs of the kangaroo. Mm. Um, but they are definitely now dolphins, so that that's really lovely. Um, but yeah, I think I think those analogies are really great, and I think they can help the parent to really try and think about where they're at, and you know, are they they doing the best that they can to support their loved one and I think that can be really difficult in itself because you know one day the 
the person could need one form of support and yeah. form of encouragement and um the next day it will it may look totally different and I think that's when you said about forgiving yourself there as a parent um, or somebody that's supporting someone with each other, I think that is a really important place to do that in knowing that you probably are going to make mistakes in terms of how you are around your loved one or how you support them. But ultimately, again, that isn't your fault because the eating disorder will grasp onto anything it possibly can in order to try and separate you from your loved one. And so if you, you know, if the eating sort of picks on up on something that they can be like, oh, you know, that's something that we can make out is wrong it will do um and I think that can be so difficult so I think what I've always tried to say is rather than kind of you know if something worked on Monday don't assume it's going to work on Tuesday ask the person on Tuesday how can I support you today and it it can get tiresome and sometimes they might not even know but I think that approach it kind of opens the conversation up more rather than just assuming something's going to work and then an explosion when it doesn't and even the I totally agree. And even the converse of that sometimes is true, you know, so sometimes we um, we can almost make things too easy or we don't quite, you know, we put limits on things as parents. So we feel, oh, my goodness, that just would be too difficult for our loved one to do. And we don't kind of create the opportunity for the loved one to try mm-hmm. because, again, you know, back to being the kangaroo and I think the important thing about parenting styles is their styles and we can be lots of different ones we're not one particular animal um but sometimes we can just put limits that we shouldn't put in place and again coming from you know love a position of love a position of fear um as well um and sometimes our loved ones are stronger and are able to kind of push themselves forward um a little bit more and the analogy i often use as well with parents hannah is and with individuals that i work with too um who are suffering like i I just say treat it all like an experiment you know like it really is you know you just try it um and i think sometimes we can put so much pressure on ourselves but you know, I often say to people, go out there, put that white coat on and pretend you're a scientist and just try stuff. You know, what's the worst that can happen? And I think exactly as you've said, if you can keep the lines of communication open, um, like every, I, honestly, every parent I've worked with um, would say, oh, but we've a great relationship with our child. And they do. Of course they do. Um, so once we can keep the lines of communication open and we can treat it as an experiment, we try it. And what did we learn? What worked? What didn't? So kind of taking the And, you know, I know we're going to talk about Christmas and that's a very good example of that. But just taking the pressure off um, can be really, really helpful um, as well, because we know, you know, as parents, back to kind of all the feelings that parents feel, the more anxiety we experience, the more stressed we are. Uh, the more worried we are. And these are all completely understandable emotions when you have a loved one with an eating disorder. The more that will feed onto our loved one. So, you know, we, we're kind of it's emotional dysregulation rather than emotional regulation. So our anxiety, our stress is just going to make our loved one feel even more anxiety because they're experiencing a lot of anxiety anyway. Um, so it's really important that we we mind ourselves and, and we're compassionate to ourselves as well as our loved one so I think if you can kind of make it an experiment and just give it a go rather than feeling oh you know um, kind of like it's success or failure that's just a lot of pressure when every day can be different exactly as you've said 
Yeah. Yeah, and I like to see it as well, and this may be a weird way of looking at it, but if ultimately I think that one of the really important things of eating disorder recovery is finding out what someone's triggers are and what's impacting them and therefore working with that on, you know, how can we get you better so that these things aren't triggers anymore? So ultimately, if something does go wrong, it's actually quite a good thing to find out. Um, and also, you know, if someone makes a comment that isn't isn't taken the right way or something, you know, you give them something to eat and they freak out about it or something, that's then something that they can work on and they can work on thinking, why did that comment affect me so much? Or, you know, why is that food one I really find really difficult? Um, so yes, in the moment, it will be hard, but ultimately recovery from an eating disorder is hard. Um, and finding those difficult bits quicker means that you're probably going to see your loved one get out of it quicker as well. Um, and I think being compassionate to yourself is really important. I think that's one thing that I have tried to speak about loads on the podcast is, you know, ultimately your loved one has an eating disorder, yes, but life is still going on around you and making sure that you stay connected with your friends and you you stay doing things that you enjoy whilst it may feel selfish at the time you know that then allows you to have a little break let off some steam come back and be re-energized then help somebody because I think so quickly people burn out when they're supporting their loved ones and then little things get more annoying arguments happen so much more often you're just so tired and you've not got the capacity to support so really making sure that there's time for you as well as time for your loved one I think is is so important absolutely and it's you know as I always say you're role modeling self-care too Mm -hmm. because for the person who has an eating disorder they're not taking care of themselves because they can't because they're sick um, so it's really important that we as parents role model that it's actually okay to mind yourself and, and take care of yourself um, and back to your point earlier like the speed bumps on the road to recovery are so important because they tell us maybe what what part or what's missing from the toolbox or what's quite what's not there yet you know so are the tools in the toolbox all polished and shining and ready to go or is there something else um that's needed so yeah we have to we we have to embrace the speed bumps i think they're so Mm -hmm. so important yeah and talking of speed bumps i think Mm -hmm. christmas can present a lot of speed bumps um so i wanted to really chat to you just like you know broadly about supporting someone with an eating disorder to start with and obviously our focus this this week is about christmas um which i think for many people is a big stress i think for people with an eating disorder for people supporting somebody with an eating disorder on both sides it can be a stress in terms of food body image family occasions like all a whole host of different things so i wanted to get your sort of input on supporting somebody with an eating disorder at christmas um so from your perspective, how how would you advise somebody to go about sort of tackling, I don't want to say tackling because I don't want to make it sound like it should be a horrific time because it shouldn't, but I think it can feel like a challenge heading into Christmas. So how would you support somebody in making that easier? Planning would be <laughs> would be my absolute number one. And I think, you know, when you're supporting somebody with a love um somebody with an eating disorder anyway, I think it's always good to have a plan A, a plan B and a plan C. So mm-hmm. if you're eating out, it's always good to have a plan B. So I think plan ahead. You know, I think 
um, an eating disorder is an unwelcome intruder at Christmas time. Um, they don't take holidays, unfortunately. So eating disorders tend to be still there at Christmas. So sometimes parents, I think, or family members can can um, can sometimes think, oh, it's Christmas, it'll all be fine. Um, and it's a really, really difficult time, as you've said, because, you know, all the food ads and TV, or sorry, all the Christmas ads and TV, so many of them are around food, um, you know, kind of pushing food, pushing indulgence. And then you flip over into the 1st of January and it's all about punishing yourself for all the indulgence. So kind of pre and post Christmas is really difficult for somebody with an eating disorder. So I think planning ahead, again, talking to your loved one, asking, you know, um, what are their stressors? What are the things that they're most concerned about? Recognizing that it probably won't be the same as previous Christmases if it's your first Christmas with an eating disorder in the house. But that doesn't mean it won't be a good occasion or there won't be joyful moments. It won't be less than. But I think if you can reduce the stress, because again, somebody who has an eating disorder experiences a lot of anxiety, as we know. So if you can kind of find ways to plan ahead, talk about the day itself, talk about the events leading up to Christmas, are there family gatherings? Is it too much for your loved one to attend those this year? Um, making reasonable adjustments, you know, around family gatherings, um, around food, I think it's really, really important. Um, and talking about what the plans are for Christmas Day. Are you going to eat in your own house? Are you going to a relative's house? What's the most appropriate thing for your loved one to do? So your loved one has to come first, really, um, in terms of of Christmas itself. So it can be really, really helpful to have those conversations, plan the day, you know. So I think sometimes um, people with eating disorders can get totally overwhelmed at the idea of Christmas and it feels like such a big event. So a tip I heard once is even just to sit down and map out the days in the year and show that actually it is only a very, very small part of the year um, and we will get through it. So even planning the day, making sure that there are non-food activities in the day, creating new traditions, you know, maybe drive around and see the Christmas lights in other houses. I do that every year. Ah, there you go. <laughs> so doing something different that's not related to food and planning the day, like planning the meal itself. Um, so kind of it can be helpful for somebody who has an eating disorder to uh, to know what's coming up, you know, so kind of agree the menu, um, agreeing the timing. So making sure that if somebody's following a meal plan, that they kind of eat at generally the same time that they have their snacks, that it's not being used as an excuse to not eat the day before because they'd be eating so much um, on the day. And even things like planning, so planning the meal, planning who will be there, planning who your loved one sits beside. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, they will generally have like a key support person, often their mum. Um, so making sure that that the person sits, you know, that their key support person sits beside them. If there are a number of people who don't really understand what's going on, making sure that uh, there's a code word or a signal between the individual and their parent so that they can be 
removed or distracted or you know anything that can help uh, can be just so important um for them i would say the really important thing hannah is just kind of pare it down like reduce the fuss um and ease the pressure like it's you know it's it's challenging um for everybody so just try and have compassion for you and for your loved one i think that's important yeah it's so funny you said about the code word because there's um i have one particular family member who's very difficult to be around and um we went to see them last christmas and me and my mum had like a a signal Mm. um and i used it several times but it was really good because it meant that like my mum knew like okay she needs me to change the conversation right now and and that was really supportive and it made me feel you know that i had somebody that was there for me and i could get through it because it wasn't just me kind of like spiralizing my own head um and I think that, you know, having a plan is really, really good. You know, planning of timing so that that takes away that anxiety. Planning of, you know, other activities, you know, not necessarily like at 2 p.m. we're going to do this, at 3 p.m. we're going to do this. But sort of, you know, if you've had the meal and someone feels uncomfortable to know like, oh, you know, we said that we could potentially play a game or whatever. We had totally. these things to do. Um, because it might be that you're fine, but it might be that you do need some support. But I just wanted to question something that you said, um, because I think one mistake I've made in the past is I have, one, lied about how comfortable I am about things in order for the eating disorder to get its own way. And two, I think my parents were so uh concerned because because i think when you said about tv adverts it's what made me think it when you see on the tv christmas christmas is this perfect time where everybody's happy everybody's smiling and like you said eating disorders don't go on holiday and it can be a very stressful time and so i think my parents approach before was just okay we're gonna have a conversation and whatever hannah feels is best that's what we're gonna do but then that meant that the eating disorder one so the meal that I had was very restrictive the pudding that I had was very restrictive like I I wasn't you know I wasn't really supporting myself in recovery and so I wanted to ask you like how do you how does a parent determine what a reasonable adjustment is because it could be that somebody is just trying to get away with being with having you know restrictive eating or whatever but it could also be that that's where they feel comfortable tricky it's a tricky one um i think i suppose the more parents learn and understand about the eating disorder and that's why support from parents is so so important mm-hmm. the more you can kind of recognize well is this hannah or is it the eating disorder and you kind of know when to push um a little bit more i think if somebody is following um a meal plan or you know just um something that's kind of a little bit um, structured. Uh, It can be helpful to kind of stay, swap, but stay aligned with that, if you know what I mean. So you're you're kind of, uh, you know, um, you're still eating broadly the same things, but they might be sort of more, have more of a crisp. I think we shouldn't be ditching the Christmas dinner, sorry. I think we should be adjusting where you can. And I think the other key thing about planning 
um, is like do it early, have the conversations early, involve the treatment team if you need to. So, you know, getting support. Like, so one of the things I did and one of the things I encourage my parents that I work with now to do is contact the dietitian if you have questions or, you know, if you have concerns. And again, if your loved one is over 18, the dietitian may not reply. But that actually doesn't matter, you know. So if you're concerned that exactly the example you've just given, Hannah, that, you know, the eating disorder is taking control and determining what will and won't be eaten, no harm to just run that by the dietitian. And the dietitian then can uh, raise it in the session with the individual. So you, so again, that's why parents are such an important part of the treatment team, because they can come at things from different angles because they see things at home. Um, so I think planning ahead, getting the support of the treatment team um, can be really, really helpful. And maybe too, um, because again, we've talked about anxiety and maybe too, it could be that you have a plan A and a plan B, you know, so maybe the plan A is if the person is feeling comfortable, they'll try X and Y. And then if the day is overwhelming, maybe we go to a plan B, maybe they eat the food, but they eat the food in another room with their kind of key support person so they're away from uh if they're if the talk isn't helpful or something like that so i think it's been being flexible um and and adjusting but it but it is tricky um but i think really important too though back to kind of taking the pressure off ourselves um it is one day the wheels won't come off if somebody's recovering it's important that we pick up again um the next day i think that's really really important as well I hope that answers it. Yeah, no, no, that's really good. I think it's just um, sometimes it can be a bit of, a bit confusing of like, you know, make adjustments. Um, how far do I go with those adjustments? So that was a really nice answer. Thank you to, to clear that up. I think one thing that's just going through my mind, and I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it, I, it might be a concern that somebody else is having. Um, so I, last Christmas, was very much in the depth of my eating disorder. And so... Whilst I was concerned about Christmas, I was in the depth of my eating disorder. So I was so engrossed in the behaviours and so um, secretive about it that I was that I got away with, you know, whatever. Because I, at the time, you know, it was kind of obvious that I was struggling, but it, I wasn't in recovery. I wasn't getting support for it. This Christmas almost feels more terrifying because this Christmas I am in recovery this Christmas I have started to gain weight and I'm on a meal plan and I think it's really strange how this Christmas is so much more terrifying um because I am getting better but equally it's almost like last year I was um engaging in the eating disorder and getting away with it this year I know that like if I'm offered a mince pie everyone's going to be like oh if I say no to a mince pie or if I don't want to have a certain thing so I guess in those situations of when everybody is having something to eat and your loved one is struggling how would you approach that to support them I guess without making it really obvious yeah so there's kind of two sides to that Hannah and we had our parent support group last night we were talking about this that sometimes and I said it earlier, you know, you can, we can inadvertently limit, um, put limits on our, our loved ones too. Um, so clearly, if somebody is 
um, in recovery following a meal plan um, and declines food or turns down food that they're offered, the one thing you don't do is start turning into a rhino and kind of badgering the person. Sorry, there are mixed metaphors there now, but, you know, in terms of why aren't you eating that, you know, you need to eat it because in the moment, all you're doing is making the individual feel a lot more anxious. Um, and if there are other people there, incredibly uncomfortable. So I think, again, you know, there parents and family members all have their own strengths. Um, and there are certain members, <clears throat> family members who are better placed to kind of have a conversation with an individual later, not around food, and just kind of check in find out how they're doing is there anything they need uh for um support on or you know asking them how they're feeling rather than making it all about food and i i read something um as well about you can have a card system like green red and yellow and you can leave a card outside your door depending on how you're feeling um for for the person themselves so i think no pressure doesn't mean we don't check in it doesn't mean that we don't gently encourage and say look you agreed that you were going to try and eat x y and z today can i help you what can i do um so the timing of that is really 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 important and similarly i think for somebody who's in recovery they're not going to ask to try foods you know so sometimes i think and again, it depends on the nature of the eating disorder, clearly, but um, even just kind of leaving food available, you know, so for example, maybe somebody who's doing well in their recovery might actually like to try a chocolate, but they're not actually going to say, can I please have a chocolate? Because it's just too hard. You know, the eating disorder is going to be very strong. But if it was there, maybe they might. And again, in that situation, the worst thing um, parents and family members can do is say oh, oh my goodness that's wonderful you've had a chocolate because that just makes the person um, feel worse you know so if we can just try and have compassion for for us ourselves and for our loved one um, and just dial down the pressure I think mm. so important that we don't let unhelpful behaviors um, creep back in Hannah to your point so we remain gently encouraging and supportive and gently challenging it's an expression I use all the time but it is important that we do that but we pick our moments um, as well yeah thank you so much for that I was smirking so much as you were chatting because I was just like oh I've had all of these situations and they all you know you like curdle inside but I think you're so right in that um, and just to add on a little bit to what you were saying, you know, if I found personally, um, I'm in a position now where it may be that somebody offers me something and in the moment I'm like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like that's so spontaneous. I didn't plan for that or mm. have you. And I may say, oh, I'm okay. Thank you. However, after a little bit of reflection and a little bit of time, I then may think, hmm, actually I'm, I might fancy that. Um, and then I might go and get one and just, you know, have it maybe on my own or I might bring it in or whatever. And I think there, like what I find really helpful is for, you know, somebody to, like you say, not make a big deal of it. So if I then walked in and they were like, oh, well, you said you didn't want one earlier or like, oh, my God, you're having one now. It's like, oh, like, please don't make this a big deal. Like, I just I just want to be as normal as 
the person sat next to me you know you didn't make a big deal when they ate the mince pie so why is it now a big, a big, uh, a big deal for me but one thing I like I do remember um like every Christmas when I was little my grandma used to get M&S vanilla pod custard it is the best custard in the whole entire world um but for for years I, I wouldn't have it and I you know at Christmas I wouldn't have dessert when we went round to their house for Christmas dinner um but every year she'd keep buying it like you know just in case and I remember one year she got it out and I just poured a little bit on and the smile on her face she didn't say anything but she was absolutely beaming and I just thought that for me was the perfect response because I knew how much it meant to her that I'd had it but she didn't kind of say oh my god you've not had it for years and now you're having it because I think if she'd have said that it would have been like oh my god I haven't had it for years and you know what you know there's a massive change here now um but I think little things like that you know it it really keeps you going in that wow you know me getting better is having a nice impact on other people as well um and I think like you said earlier taking it away from it just being about the food um you know rather than like you've had this food that's amazing it's just you know it's more oh well I've had this and I you know rather than me thinking oh my god how many calories is in this and you know what how much weight am I going to gain from it I've eaten it and now I'm engaging in a game with you and like I'm I'm just kind of enjoying time with my family rather than being you know totally absorbed by the eating disorder all the time and I, yeah and I think as well um on that Hannah like the post meal thing is really really important mm. so you know um there is more food on Christmas day now we can we can dial it all down you know and I think that can be really helpful for somebody but really important that we're not sitting at the dining table two hours later you know that we eat and we just change the scene and we move away from the food I think that can be really really important um and you know distractions are great like a board game um charades yeah movie marathon whatever just Mm -hmm. something and you know something small again like if if somebody is eating a christmas meal or eating a bit more than maybe they might normally maybe they need a hot water bottle maybe they're feeling really really bloated um, so that kind of stuff can be uh, really, really helpful. And uh, last night, uh, my colleague Susanna works in a residential treatment centre and she was saying that sometimes what happens uh, that the clients there will have a couple of rehearsal dinners before mm. they go home. So they'll have a Christmas dinner um, a few times before they go home. Again, just kind of getting used to it and kind of getting comfortable with their fears around it and their anxieties. So again, that could be something that somebody could consider you know might be quite the same but it is all about just trying to uh, manage the anxieties and the emotions that the eating disorder brings up um, I think so the post-meal piece um, is really important uh, as well yeah I um this was it's kind of an eating disorder tradition but that sounds really strange to say but every year now my mum buys me a jigsaw puzzle and I absolutely <laughs> love jigsaw puzzles anyway um but honestly, if she ever stops buying me a jigsaw puzzle, you know, when I'm fully recovered and I don't need the distraction of a jigsaw puzzle after dinner anymore, I will be disappointed because uh, I always do it. I get like an a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and then I aim to finish it by the end of the day. Um, so oh, wow. sometimes I'm up 
uh, very late, but everybody else is drunk and I'm just there with my <laughs> jigsaw puzzle, so it's great. Um, but that's the whole thing about creating new traditions, then, you know, exactly, something yeah. different. They don't have to be like, you don't have to feel like you're missing out on things. No. They can genuinely be really lovely traditions. Just, I think that's the thing. There's such a focus on food and drink at Christmas and it just doesn't need to be like that. I think, you, you know, what you were just saying about, um, you know, dialing down the meal, I always just say to myself, when it comes to the Christmas meal, realistically, um, it is just, I mean, whether you're vegetarian, I'm vegetarian, so I have like the roast corn thing, but it's literally a bit of meat, some potatoes and some vegetables. Like that is a very standard meal. And then you might have some of the extra trimmings, you know, if you fancy it, but it doesn't need to be, you know, I think society and diet culture have really made the Christmas dinner a massive thing because it tends to be, you know, people will restrict all morning and then they'll have this massive meal and you don't need to do it like that and that's not a healthy way to do it either and that's you know it's not healthy for anybody to do let alone somebody in recovery from an eating disorder um so I think you know it can just be a very very normal day for you to have fun with your family have a night or you know the people that you love around you play some games go for a nice walk and like you say it's it is one day of the year and I guess celebrations can go on a bit longer than that um but I think there is such this big emphasis on Christmas and really it doesn't need to be there no and there's also you know you mentioned earlier there's this perception that you know it's a perfect day and everybody has a perfect time I don't think that's realistic or true for anybody um because you know it can be really stressful for everybody so um i think really important that we we just kind of the compassion piece and and sort of dialing down the pressure and also being conscious of the pressures after christmas so back to your whole diet culture piece you know new year new you so you're punished for all your indulgence over christmas it's just um it's really hard and again that's really hard for somebody um in eating disorder recovery um, all the messaging around the need to exercise um, and all of that and restrict your food intake to make up inverted commas for what you've eaten over Christmas so that can be really really difficult so again just kind of being conscious of that um, uh, and how difficult that can be um, is important too. Yeah absolutely I think being mindful of the messaging and the comments of family gatherings and things like that um, that's definitely where I tend to or tend to used to have those comments come up the most and you know social media and things like that so I guess really just checking in with somebody in the days after that um before, this might sound bad but what I always try and remember is that most people do about a week of their um new year's resolution and then they give up so you know um it's very difficult to be bombarded by that messaging but sometimes i think it's good to take a break from social media in those times and really focus on yourself um so thank you so much this has been so helpful i think people are gonna you know absolutely be you know storming into this christmas period thinking well it's all going to be fine um and we don't need to put the pressure on where can people go if you to enjoyed find out listening today you don't want to miss I'm next sure, week's episode you know, so be sure to subscribe support, but eating disorders are crippling illnesses with the right support they can be recovered from we really hope yeah, you enjoyed this are, episode you, but if you require more support right now please look into charities such as first steps and beat for support or talk to someone you trust video series for
called Parenting Through Recovery. So um, it's a video series we did in collaboration with the US parent coach, Becky Henry. And we're talking about all the barriers that face parents in terms of accessing support for themselves. So people might also find that useful. It's available to download um, on the website. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and I guess, I mean, we're recording this on the 21st of November, but happy Christmas. <laughs> and to you, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope all the tips about planning ahead will um, be helpful uh, to you on, on the day. And I hope you get the jigsaw puzzle completed. Oh, as I, well, I hope stage. I get the jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for the opportunity to speak to you, Hannah. Thank you.